This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL podcast. I'm Gary Grambling. And right now, I am joined by John Gonzalez. And John, I don't want to alarm you. But you are in you are in a bonus episode right now. Amazing. We're making this a habit, Gary. Twice in two weeks. <laughs> I love it. So so the reason you are here, as you probably know, because we talked about this beforehand, uh, we're presenting an episode of the podcast that you host, the Sports Illustrated Weekly Podcast. Uh, it's about the impact, and, and we're talking the impact beyond football. We're talking about the impact on a city, on the people of that city, that a new NFL stadium has. And obviously, specifically, we're talking about SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Yeah, so the Super Bowl is in Los Angeles, as everybody knows, this weekend between the Bengals and the Rams. It's the first time that L.A. has hosted the Super Bowl in 29 years, and it's at SoFi Stadium, which is just a beautiful, first-rate, state-of-the-art stadium, uh, but it's also in the middle of a neighborhood in Inglewood. So we did a piece for uh, for SI.com about this, and then we have an audio piece on Sports Illustrated Weekly that brings all these characters to life and explains exactly what it's like for Inglewood residents to live next to the stadium and what it's meant in terms of economic impact uh, to the community. So I, I want to start with this with an admission. Uh, I had looked into this story when SoFi Stadium was getting ready to open like summer of 2020. And for a number of reasons, uh, the lack of planning and vision and, and maybe just the absence of the kind of inner drive that uh, a story like this <laughs> requires. Uh, I never... <laughs> I never got it done. I never, I never really went that deep into it. But um, oh, I scooped the hell out of you, Gary. I know. I, got I know. First. It's just it. It was. It was like watching the better me operate. Uh, That's but a this lie. is the. That's a <laughs> this is the kind of story that people and and when I say people, that includes me. That includes us at Sports Illustrated. Uh, it, people in this industry, we don't do enough of these stories. And I was just curious. I know you're a Los Angeles resident. But uh, is what kind of called you to this piece? Yeah, I mean, like you, like a lot of your listeners, uh, like a lot of people who read Sports Illustrated and consume our content, I love the NFL. Uh, my wife works for the NFL, uh, NFL Network, and we had gone to a game in earlier in the season. It was the Cardinals at the Rams, and man, it was just a beautiful stadium. Wasn't a great game for the Rams. They got blown out. But uh, the place is just really everything that you've heard about it is exactly what it is. But on the way in, you have to drive through the community that butts up right against the stadium. I mean, it's just like a residential neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, there's this massive stadium there. And I thought to myself, I wonder what it's like for the people who live here because the traffic is outrageous getting in and out. And it goes, it flows through their neighborhood on the way in. And I thought, you know, 70,000 people for every Chargers game and every Rams game. And like, what do you do on a Sunday if like you need milk or something? Like what happens? Mm -hmm. And from there, I just started talking to people. And it's a really complicated issue because I think when you talk to residents and activists, 
Um, they have a lot of complaints. They have complaints about the traffic, about rising rent prices, about rising home prices that are gentrifying the neighborhood and pushing people out. Um, you know, the influx of people into their community every weekend that, that uh, you know, that there's problems there with noise and just, you know, people who don't live there and don't necessarily treat their neighborhood right. But then you have somebody like the mayor of Inglewood, who is very much in favor of this because he sees economic prosperity for a community that previously when he took over about 10 years ago as the mayor was close to bankruptcy. And now Inglewood is this, you know, what he describes as this economic success story. So it's a complicated story. The mayor of Inglewood, James Butts, uh, I will undersell this by I'll just say he's a bit of an atypical politician at the center of this thing. Yeah, I expected him to sort of obfuscate and equivocate and maybe talk, you know, about both sides, do some both sidesism. And instead, James Butts comes at you head on. And he is the biggest evangelist you could imp- you could possibly imagine for the stadium shy of Stan Kroenke, the Rams owner who privately financed the stadium. And and we should note that the Rams did not make him or any executives available for the story. Instead, James Butts is out front touting and trumpeting the stadium. And at every turn where I asked him, okay, well, what about the concerns of, you know, local business owners or residents who have had to move away from the area because uh, it's it's gotten too expensive for them to live in. And previously, Inglewood was one of the more affordable areas in the South Bay area of Los Angeles, predominantly black and brown, over 90% black, Latino and Hispanic. And he said, look, you know, I'm sorry about this, but progress is what Inglewood needs. And look at all the, all the things that we can pay for now. And he outlines all of it. So he doesn't blink at all, even once when you ask him about this stuff. And, and he is colorful to say the least. You, uh, you did mention the the Rams did not participate in this. Uh, I, obviously, you reached out to them. I mean, was it just a flat out no? <laughs> we we don't have anything to say. Uh, it was a no on Kroenke and the executives. They provided mm-hmm. me with various talking points. They uh, connected me with the SoFi Stadium operations people who provided me with talking points. Uh, and then the NFL reached out. The league itself reached out, and they also had talking points, all of which are enumerated in the piece. Um, I think SoFi Stadium, the Rams, and the league are sensitive about this because they have tried to partner with Inglewood, the city of Inglewood, in order to um, have some economic benefits and community benefits, you know, beautification efforts, programs that they've started with Inglewood High School, you know, working with local businesses to help them with physical infrastructure, giveaways to the community, things of that nature. Um, because they, they realize that, you know, they just plunked down a giant, massive stadium that is helping to gentrify Inglewood, which is a difficult thing if you're an Inglewood resident who can only afford a certain amount uh, in terms of cost of living. And those that cost of living is now rising over the last five years since Inglewood Stadium Project uh, began. So we're going to get to it here. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil any more from this episode, but uh, I do just want to say before we get to it, uh, speaking as a, as a Firmly mediocre, comfortably mediocre podcast host. Uh, listening to you, Don't you John, dare do as that to yourself. Don't you <laughs> dare do that. Listening to you, as well as one of our wonderful producers, uh, Dan Bloom. Uh, I mean, you guys are, are are sharp and polished, but also like your on air voices are just <laughs> impeccable. And I was just, I was overwhelmed with feelings of of jealousy and inadequacy, and uh, I don't know. It just it brought up a lot of stuff. Listen, I, the, when I need 
a quality podcast in my ear. I go for the MMQB podcast and the dulcet tones of one Gary Grambling. So don't you dare do that to yourself. <laughs> oh, you. All right. Well, listen, this is a tremendous podcast episode. I would I would genuinely argue this is probably the best episode we've done at uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, if you don't subscribe to Sports Illustrated Weekly wherever you get your podcasts, please go ahead and do it. But right now, I am very proud to share with you the Toll Stadium's take on a city. John, thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Gary. What's it like uh, for the traffic, like getting in and out on it? Like if you had to go to the store or something on oh, Sunday. Oh, shit. It's, it's crazy as hell. On Sunday, for the first time in 29 years, the Super Bowl is back in Los Angeles. SoFi Stadium is the NFL's shiniest new showcase. It's the biggest and most expensive stadium in the country, if not the world. It's also located in Inglewood, a predominantly black, Latino, and Hispanic neighborhood that is one of the poorest in L.A. County. The Rams and Chargers both play their games at SoFi, which means that Inglewood residents deal with an influx of 70,000 visitors for each game, a number that will balloon to 100,000 people for the Super Bowl, effectively doubling the population of Inglewood that day. Everyone agrees that SoFi offers an incredible experience for football fans. But how have the people of Inglewood been impacted by their new neighbor? And as more than one Inglewood resident asked me, would you want to live next to it? I reported this story for a written piece. You can read it right now on SI.com. So instead of hosting this particular segment myself, we're going to bring in our senior producer, Dan Bloom. Hey, John. How's it going? Thank you for doing this, my friend. Are you kidding? My pleasure. Anything for you. All right, John, let's start with how you came up with the idea for this story. Yeah, so I went to a game earlier in the season the Cardinals were playing the Rams and it was my first time to SoFi and I had a great time. It was an incredible experience. The stadium is first rate in every possible way. But on the way in and out, you basically drive through the neighborhood of Englewood. I mean, it's a residential neighborhood that's butted up right against the stadium. And I was wondering to myself, like, what would it be like to live here and to have all of these people who don't live in the community come into the community every single weekend? How did SoFi Stadium end up in Inglewood in the first place? So Inglewood has a long history of sports in the community. Maybe the most iconic thing about Inglewood prior to SoFi Stadium coming along was the Forum. The game ends. The Lakers have won again. Where the Showtime Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings played for a long time. But then the Lakers left and the Kings left. And by 2011, Inglewood was functionally broke. And that's when Mayor James Butts was elected. When I left England, we had the three-piece Showtime Lakers. We had the Kings of Hockey. We had the racetrack was doing 43,000 people a day, six days a week. And when I came back, functionally, all we had was the Sizzler and a Big Donut. Our bond rating was triple B minus at the time, which is one step above junk. We had $10 million in the bank, and we had an $18 million structural deficit. So in 2011, by September or October, we would have been bankrupt. Obviously not great when you're touting a chain restaurant like a Sizzler and a Randy's Donut, which while iconic in LA, probably want a little bit more than that as your main attractions. But James Butts is a really interesting figure. He was Inglewood's second ever black police cadet. And then from there, he was a homicide detective, an undercover officer. He led the SWAT team. And then he becomes the police chief of Santa Monica before returning to Inglewood and winning election as mayor. He also has an MBA. So when he's elected, He's got big plans for the city. 
Where I stand right now is going to be the site of what we hope will be an 80,000 seat stadium that will spill over into the most magnificent development. Here and there is going to be the stadium. It's time for new things. Aside from Rams owner Stan Kroenke, nobody is more responsible for bringing SoFi Stadium to Englewood than Mayor James Butts. I mean, he is, without a doubt, the biggest evangelist for that stadium. So the NFL had long wanted to move back to Los Angeles for obvious reasons. It's a massive market and it was an untapped market and it didn't make any sense for America's biggest sport not to be there. And so Mayor Butts thought, look, we have a long history of catering to sports teams in this town. Why not put our hand up? Let's have sports again. Let's have concerts again. Let's have people coming to Inglewood. Let's make Inglewood a destination. So they put in the bid and they win the bid and they get the stadium built in Inglewood. It feels like being inside the Matrix. This is truly the resurrection of the City of Champions. City of Champions Part 2. And because of that, the mayor will list off any number of things that he sees as a positive benefit, not just to Inglewood, but to the residents as a result of their relationship with SoFi Stadium. The NFL Networks left Culver City. YouTube is operating a 6,000-seat performing arts theater. We attracted the L.A. Philharmonic Youth Orchestra Program. We have the Girl Scouts, the Greater Los Angeles, a youth tennis program at Edward Vincent Park that the city subsidizes so lower-income families' kids can learn tennis. There's only three mega cities in this country that have had the number of events and teams that we have in nine square miles, and that's San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles. But what took them a generation, we did in less than seven years. This is like a resurrection. The pride in the city is just off the charts. John, you took the time to actually go to Inglewood. Can you just paint as vivid a picture as you can of just what it was like for you to go there, park your car, walk down the street, and find and meet people? Yeah, I wanted to get a sense of what was going on in Inglewood for myself. So I went there, and I talked to people on a game day about what their experiences are like living in the neighborhood when all these people are coming in from out of the area. I knew that traffic was going to be bad, so I parked my car pretty far away from the stadium, and I just walked it in like 15 or 20 minutes. And then suddenly you're in the part of Inglewood that's right next to the stadium. And aside from the stadium, it's a neighborhood not unlike other neighborhoods in all of Los Angeles. Palm trees, the whole thing. And then out of nowhere, you see this giant edifice that looks like it was plunked down from a Star Trek movie. And it's super incongruous with the rest of the neighborhood. I mean, it obviously (laughs) the architecture is radically different than what you would see first where somebody lives. And as I was walking down the street, a guy opens up his front door and he had a big bushy hairdo because it looked like it was early in the morning and maybe he had just woken up and he didn't have a shirt on and he leans out and he shouts to somebody who had just parked their car, hey, you can't park there. And I thought he was just aggravated by it, but he was just trying to be helpful. And it turns out his name is Josh. Every Sunday, he's out there trying to be a good Samaritan, telling people, hey, you can't park there. They'll tow you. Okay, so parking is an issue. We know that. But are there any benefits? 
Yeah, the parking thing, there's two sides to that, Dan, because on the one hand, yes, it's an issue for the residents. On the other hand, if you have a parking space at your house somewhere for other cars to park, residents will rent that out to people coming in on game days. And that's actually going to happen for the Super Bowl, where the Los Angeles Times reported that some spots could go for as much as $5,000. I know people, Dan, in Inglewood who live, you know, about a mile and a half or so from SoFi Stadium, who think they can fit five cars into their backyard at $1,000 a pop. So you could do your math there. That would work out great for them. But this is still not really considering the overarching problem, which is the influx of people every single game day. And I know that some people listening to this will think, oh, that's just people in LA whining about traffic the way they always do. But that's not the case because the people of Englewood are talking about how their lives are fundamentally altered on game days in ways that other LA residents, including myself, don't experience because we don't live near SoFi. You have to like literally, sometimes my husband get out here like hold the traffic and then we'll just ease up out. So this is Yolanda Johnson again. She's the woman we heard from at the top of the piece who said the traffic in Englewood is crazy as hell. And you know what? She's right. It is crazy as hell. Coming back in one night, I was coming from work. It took me an hour just to get to my house. How, how far away is work? I work probably like 15 minutes from here. So it was like an hour. And I didn't want to park all the way around the corner and back again and just leave my car there. So I just stayed, just chilled out until the traffic died out. If you're in Inglewood on a Sunday and you're a resident, you have to plan ahead of time. You have to say, okay, there's a game today. I have tasks A, B, and C to accomplish. Am I doing it before the game? Am I waiting it out and doing it after? Whatever day the game falls on, that is a lost day for Inglewood residents. So along these same lines, John, people might be tempted to think that more traffic equals more business. More people come into your neighborhood, they come across your storefront, there's a higher chance they'll spend some money, right? But you discovered that it's more complicated than that. Yes. So as I'm walking around, I stumbled onto Blessed Tropical Jamaican Cuisine, which is a Jamaican restaurant also directly across the street from SoFi Stadium. And the co-owner was inside. Her name is Sandra Estrada. And we just started talking about how her business is doing. And I asked her, what was it like during the pandemic? The pandemic, we did real good. Yeah. We did real good. Well, you would think the pandemic effect us, it didn't. Man, we did great during the pandemic, especially on Sundays. Sundays are her big days. That's when she sells the most oxtail. And then the stadium opened and she said, I think we're going to do great because all these people are coming. 70,000 people every Sunday. We're directly across the stadium. We're going to do even better business. But the opposite has been true. I used to do like $5,000 a day. And the food would finish early. By 7 o'clock, the food would be gone. Customers come in and I don't have no more food. Now I'm praying to see them come in. Yeah. Yeah. And this is my life. This is my business, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. She's selling a fraction of the oxtail on Sunday that she used to. And she's not sure exactly why that is. She thinks it's probably a combination of factors. Part of it is probably that people are eating at the stadium. And part of it is the traffic concerns because the way that the traffic is flowed, some people going in one direction can't make a left into her parking lot. On top of that, the landlord for the strip mall that houses her restaurant can make a big buck on Sunday renting it out to football fans, which means there are fewer spots for people to park to go and patronize Sandra's restaurant. Please tell me that you tried this oxtail. 
One of my great regrets oh, in journalism and life was not getting that oxtail. And I feel terrible about it. You know, <laughs> like that's a perfect example. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem <laughs> because I'm going to the stadium. I'm part of the problem because I'm consuming the mm. NFL. I love the NFL. The stadium's incredible. And then on top of that, I'm part of the problem because I didn't buy the damn oxtail that I should have bought, <laughs> you know, and it smelled amazing. All right. So what else happened to you walking around in Inglewood on an empty stomach? Yeah. So I'm walking around and I see a bunch of cars going into a parking lot and I figure I'll run over there and talk to some people as they're gathering. And it turned out to be a church. And I meet a really nice guy. His name is Miguel Alvarado. And now what do you do for the church? I am the pastor. Yeah. Oh, you're the pastor? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Very nice I'm to meet pastor. you. His church is directly across the street from SoFi Stadium. It is separated by one street. So he's right in the thick of it. And he said sometimes his parishioners don't want to come anymore because it's really hard to get in and out. And then he's had parishioners have to move. Today I have uh, one person who came and he asked me that, uh, that he's going to move to Lancaster with his family because um, they can't afford to live in here anymore. Yeah. Englewood was too expensive for them. So they decided to take their entire life and move it two hours north. And that's a life alter. You're now commuting back two hours to work in Englewood, or you have to find a new job somewhere closer to where you live in Lancaster. So your whole life has now changed. Now, the mayor's counterpoint to that would be Inglewood's books are no longer in the red because of the steps the city has taken, including SoFi. The city is financially stable, and we're able to methodically and strategically redo things like our main library, our satellite libraries, where we trimmed about 600 trees a year out of a 19,000 tree inventory every year. We do about 3,000 trees a year. We've paved and resurfaced more lane miles of roadway, more linear feet of sidewalk in the last seven years than the prior 40 years combined. So this is added to the quality of life. The mayor gets that some residents have concerns, but he ultimately lands on the trade-offs being worth it. No situation is ideal, but I'll tell you what, there are a lot of cities that would want to be in our situation. I'll tell you that as a fact. Well, he would be mayor number 66, who has claimed these benefits that are going to trickle down. This is Rick Eckstein. He's a professor of sociology and criminology at Villanova, and he co-wrote a book called Public Dollars, Private Stadiums. This puffery about how communities are going to benefit, it just doesn't happen. And even though there's this real consensus among social scientists that these things do not bear economic fruit in the long run anyway, the stadiums keep getting built and people keep justifying it with these economic arguments. People can talk about it all they want, but the data just aren't there. And that's why stadiums are built where they're built. They build it in places like Englewood. They're not going to build it in Beverly Hills, put it that way. Rick said when you look at the people who are coming into the stadium for games, whether it's on game day during the regular season or the tourists coming in for the Super Bowl, these are people who obviously don't live in Englewood. Some of them probably have stereotypical fears of the area since it is a majority minority, as some say, and they don't want to go to the Jamaican restaurant. I was looking at some of the restaurants in the area. Most of them are chains, and that's an issue too, right? That money spent at a national chain doesn't usually stay in the local community. It gets sucked out to wherever the headquarters happen to be and wherever the executives happen to be. Whenever a stadium is built, someone somewhere 
who's associated with the stadium, will put out an economic impact report. And everything will be glowing and rosy and say, by building the stadium in your neighborhood, oh man, everybody's going to get rich. Well, some people are going to get rich, but it's not everybody. These economic impact reports, unsurprisingly, are very favorable to the people who are commissioning these economic impact reports. And they're even favorable to the economists who are commissioned to do the reports because Rick Eckstein says they can literally plan for retirement with the money they earn from doing the work. I'm not going to name names here, but there was someone who was who was really prominent in being critical stadiums back 20, 25 years ago. He started doing research for the teams. And... I asked him, I said, well, why do you do that? I said, well, that's where the money is. I'm making tens of thousands of dollars doing these advocacy studies, and I want to retire. That's where the money is, like, you know, why you rob banks, because that's where the money is. When I was talking to Rick Eckstein, I asked him, what's the future look like for Englewood? Because, again, if you read the economic impact reports, everything sounds like Englewood is going to be the city of the future. And Eckstein said, look at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. That was built in a very middle-class, working-class area of Brooklyn with all the promises that there's going to be all the stuff going on and and all the people are just going to be riding that gravy train. It's going to be great. Well, they're gone now. They got priced out of the market. They don't live there anymore. So is there anyone in Inglewood trying to make sure that their community does not go down the same road as Brooklyn with the Barclays Center? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people. I mean, there's all kinds of activists in Englewood and people in the community who feel that they have ownership of Englewood and want to make sure that they don't get pushed out of town. And one resident who's working really hard on that front is a guy named Derek Steele. He's lived in Englewood since 2008, and he's an activist for a group called Uplift Englewood, which is an organization that was created in 2015. And what they try to do is work with all of these companies that are coming into Englewood, like SoFi Stadium, to make sure that the residents of Englewood have a voice and a seat at the table. We have to be along this journey together. With the Rams coming in, the new stadium being built, people were really excited about what it could actually mean for the city. Most of the people in Englewood that I spoke with just had a lot of concerns. They had concerns about how much they were going to have to spend to stay in Englewood in terms of housing the impact on their businesses, the impact on their community. But Derek Steele was saying, you know, I've been to the stadium too. And it was an amazing experience, man. So I think if people have the opportunity to live here and and have those types of experiences, it's really a net positive uh, because it is bringing resources, it is bringing jobs, it is bringing opportunity. And as long as we're able to be here to be a part of that, it's always going to be a net positive. He said something that I had heard from a number of people that I had spoken with in Inglewood, which is people are leaving Inglewood to find cheaper places to live. He told me a story about his daughter, who's a grade schooler, and how she had a friend who her parents decided to move. And that's what it it was real to me. Like, you could actually see it in real life happening. And it's like, well, why did they have to move? Oh, yeah, the rent went up $1,000. Like, $1,000? Like, come on, you know, and so we got to figure out what we're going to do here. This is not hyperbole. This is not being made up. People are really suffering. We got to figure out what we're going to do here. But the mayor, James Butts, didn't exactly agree with that, did he? No, not really. He points out that Englewood is still cheaper to live in than some of the surrounding areas. Englewood has a 3% cap on rents, the lowest in the state of California. We have more affordable housing 
units per capita and in whole numbers than anywhere in the South Bay. Also, our average rents are the lowest in the South Bay. So it seems, John, from the outside, like the mayor and activists like Derek Steele wouldn't agree on a whole lot. I mean, they do and they don't, Dan. They both clearly want what's best for Inglewood, but they obviously differ on how to get there and what that looks like. I want to make sure that people are good. They deserve to be made whole because they've done the work, they've done the due diligence to be a part of all the, the activity that's happened over the years when there wasn't anything. And now that there is something, we should make sure that they're able to stay here too. Not every conversation has been easy and there's been some frustration along the way. But I think as long as we continue to keep the lines of communication open, we can get to a point where people can be really be taken care of. So what does Derek Steele mean when he says there's been some frustration? Mayor Butts is a colorful figure and <laughs> sometimes speaks more bluntly than you would expect other politicians to speak. And there have been multiple city council sessions where he will dress down his constituents. There was one city council meeting where a constituent had suggested the Rams pay for the extension of the nearby Crenshaw line that would serve as a people mover that would, in theory, cut down on some traffic, right? Instead of driving into Inglewood for the game, you hop on the train and all of a sudden you're at SoFi Stadium. If I were an Inglewood resident, I might think the same thing. And the mayor, in no uncertain terms, told this resident what a bad idea that was. This is something that will be in play 365 days a year to deal with the blessings and, and riches that we have worked ourselves into, okay? This is our responsibility. It's not enough to say, oh, somebody else should pay for it. That's not what mature adults do. They handle their responsibilities. And the council is handling its responsibility. There was another city council session that really got contentious. There was a resident in Inglewood that was displeased with Inglewood giving the Clippers use of city land in order to hold the press conference to discuss their pending stadium, the Intuit Dome. And at the end of the city council session, the mayor got caught on a hot mic telling this person, go choke yourself, Diane. And not surprisingly, that's not a great look politically. <laughs> the optics of that aren't fantastic. Most politicians that I've interacted with are more times than not going to be extremely careful with their words. And James Butts is the opposite. What you get with James Butts is this was a great idea. We needed this in our city. And I would do it again exactly the same way every single time. And apparently the Caribbean restaurants be damned because Mayor Butts, in my view, is running a serious risk of being labeled as anti-oxtail. <laughs> yeah, I asked him about that. And when I tried to pin him down specifically on Sandra's restaurant, I was sort of struck. Businesses operate under the system of capitalism we have in this country, and no one guarantees anyone everything will always stay the same, and there are times when adjustments have to be made. I'm very sorry that business was better before the crowds from SoFi. It's a little difficult to understand how so many businesses benefit from all the additional traffic. So I don't know how to respond to one individual situation, but I would tell you this, you have more opportunity if you sell things, if tens of thousands of cars come down your street than if none come down. 
It reminded me of the old adage that if you want to make an omelet, you're going to have to break some eggs. It, it wouldn't have surprised me to hear that come out of his mouth exactly. But in that instance, those eggs are his constituents. Those are his voters. <laughs> Englewood didn't have a vote on this. There's a loophole in California state law that allows cities like Englewood to gather signatures from the residents. By doing that, it allowed city council and the mayor to vote it up or down, thereby bypassing putting it on the ballot. And not surprisingly, the mayor and city council voted for it unanimously. And that's how the residents of Inglewood got bypassed on having a, a true say in whether or not it was built in their backyard. When I was talking to the mayor about how the stadium got built, I called it an end around. And boy, he did not like that. Why not put it on the ballot? Why was there sort of this end around that prevented residents from voting on it? Was it legal, John? For, for the city council around. to vote on it, to, to go that way? Yeah, it was yeah, legal. Okay, so it was within the law. Now, I'm amazed because I've been asked that question before. It was smart for us to do that, to be decisive. We had competing cities that wanted to do it. Everything was going to go to the people that were swift. And so we did what we felt the residents wanted. And it turns out we were right. If it was you, if you weren't Mayor Butts, if you were just Inglewood resident James Butts, would you have wanted a vote? I would have wanted them to do their duty and vote the initiative into law because this was a dynamic time. There were competitors. And so I dare say if we waited around for a vote, we would have lost ground with our competitors. He is fully committed to the idea that SoFi is an overall positive and a win for Englewood. The alternative is to be crime-ridden, to have no job-generating businesses in town, to have no drive-through traffic that spends money where the taxes stay with the residents. And then you know what? Then you'll have very, very cheap rents, but you'll have a very undesirable city to live in. So what do you think happens, John? What happens to the residents who live around SoFi Stadium? I hope, like Derek Steele hopes, that along with Uplift Englewood and a bunch of the activists, they figure out a way to stay in Englewood and make it affordable for them and make it beneficial for them. If it's a situation on the other side where they're getting displaced from it, they didn't even have a say in it, rents are being raised in ways that they can't even take on and nobody's doing anything about it. Like those things are, are not good, not only just for those adults in the space, but also the youth, because what does the future hold for them? And what are we saying to them about what the future means to them if we're not taking care of them and their families? But I fear, like the economists that we spoke with, that a lot of people in Inglewood who could previously afford to live there will be pushed out because they can't anymore. This is just the beginning for Inglewood. You've got the Super Bowl this year. Next year, in 2023, it'll host the College Football National Championship and WrestleMania. 2028, the LA Olympics. And in 2024, you're going to add in the Clippers, too. This is what life will be like for Inglewood in perpetuity moving forward. And James Butts is not second-guessing anything, and he will tell you so. Is there anything you would do differently? I mean, because so far I'm hearing, hey, we nailed this. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of a thing that we would have done differently. 
You can read my story about how SoFi Stadium has impacted Inglewood on SI.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 